0: Welcome back to More Than Rice and Beans, your favorite mother-son podcast celebrating all things Latinx. I'm Tanya, the founder, chef, and event planner at Goki the Chef in the Bronx, New York. And I can't believe it, we're going on a fourth season.
1: Yeah, so it's pretty crazy because I wouldn't have thought that I could survive this long doing a podcast with my mom. I'm Miguel, a PhD student studying aerospace engineering and, of course, Tanya's son. And I could not think of a better way to kick off our fourth season than with today's guest. So Melissa Dupree is our guest today, and she is a multidisciplinary artist, producer, and playwright from Chicago. Her critically acclaimed work spans over a decade, including recently digitized full-length play Buruhaha. She's performed stand-up comedy across the US. She is also the heart and soul behind the Good Grief Project, aimed at connecting communities of color with mental and spiritual wellness. Practitioners of color. You probably know her from her recent role as Dr. Sara Ortiz on Grey's Anatomy, but Melissa has also had roles on Empire, The Resident, Chicago PD, and The Chi, and that is just scratching the surface of her accomplishments. Melissa, we are so happy you're joining us on More Than Rice and Beans today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I'm I'm a fan of this podcast. Actually, my partner Flaca Nalaja just um done an interview and i was like that's so cool mother son duo um i'm also like a really big fan of cooking and the culinary arts in general so this was really really unique and so congratulations on your fourth season
0: thank Thank you. you thank you so let's start with the most obvious and talk about grace and
2: amity right off the bat
0: What was the experience of playing an Afro-Latina role on a TV show as massive as Grey's Anatomy?
2: Well, Grey's Anatomy was a show that I watched with my mother religiously. We set up ritual mother-daughter time every Thursday to watch Grey's Anatomy. And then when the spinoff private practice happened, we had two hours of just girl time. And that was when I was around college, like my first year of college. And we had maintained that ritual for years up until she passed away. She transitioned in 2016. And I, you know, like a lot of Grids Anatomy fans, I just stopped watching the show. It was actually like really hard for me to continue on with the series with the loss of my mother. It was part of our ritual. And I've been a professional actor for a very long time but i've never tapped into the la market up until i got an audition for gray's anatomy out of nowhere i would never gotten an audition outside of chicago or new york and i've been with the abc family since 2014 so i just don't know how i got that audition on a wednesday i turned it in On Friday, I got called that I was hired. On Monday, I was due on set to take a COVID test. And I firmly believe that that was my mother showing off as an ancestor to tell me, this is what I'm gonna be doing work for you on the other side. This is how I'm gonna open doors for you. This is this is I could do in the ancestral realm that I couldn't do on earth. And so the whole drive, the first weekend that I had made that drive, I could feel her in the mountains, I could feel her in the desert. We used to drive when I was a young person. We used to drive for months on end doing road trips. So it was just a it was such a cosmic and divine landing of that job to begin with and everything about it was magical. The the role was intentionally written to be Afro latina I also landed at, at Grace Lawn Memorial with my mother mm-hmm. um and that's uh, Lisa Vidal who played my mom and she's like this petite, wonderful, like completely iconic Latina superstar. And we did a mother-daughter role the first season and all, everything about walking onto set and seeing um, all of these people that I've been watching for years just be floating around and Ellen Pompeo just like bumping Wu-Tang in her trailer. Like everything was completely magic, the whole process.
0: I could imagine. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it, Your mom was just there giving you that beautiful opportunity. Oh, gosh. What do you think needs to change more for Blacks and Latinx people to see themselves represented in popular TV shows and
2: movies? Uh, I'm a firm believer of the equity and inclusion that we want to see has to come from behind the systems that put us in front of of the camera, so we need to be writing our own stories. We also need to be producing our stories. We have to be funded in the same way that most of our, historically, like the cis white men have been running Hollywood since its inception. And so unless we are recreating an entirely different atmosphere and ecosystem like Tyler Perry, you know, who can produce their own work through their own lens, fund their own work, We're not gonna see the kinds of changes at the pace that we need to see them, but I do believe a lot of beautiful work is happening around telling marginalized stories that have been typically sidelined because we just didn't have enough writers and producers and directors to be able to tell those stories ethically and authentically. And now we do, we have so many, but these opportunities are so scarce and, but I don't believe in a scarcity mentality. I believe that there's abundant opportunity. It's really a matter of changing the culture around how we get this work produced. So if we really wanted to see black and Latina representation, you know black representation doesn't really need a lot of help in the same way that latine does you know i think that there's been a racial binary for a long time and there are multitudes of incredible black artists black directors black producers black production companies i think we as as latine people and part of the diaspora we need to really bump up our ability to collaborate with uh communities of the global majority that have already made that work and so like we sometimes we have blinders on and we we're not creating the relationships and we're not working together in tandem the entire government and the entire we can go through a depression what has never collapsed is hollywood it's insular mm-hmm. and we need to figure out how to make that community for ourselves
0: I read this in the article about Black Panther. Uh, black Panther in the last movie had Mexican people, Mexican culture, and they were very authentic on that Mexican culture. Uh, one of the things they said is that it had to take Black people to connect with Hispanics and Latinos to bring in them in, in, in a movie. And I was like, wow, I, I never thought of that. Like That collaboration is very strong. Because there's so much uni- unity, and they can understand each other.
1: So, kind of building off of some of the stuff that you said about uh, working with incredible people, um, on especially on Grey's Anatomy, uh, who who is still on your wish list of people to work with now?
2: You know, it changes almost every day. It changes almost every day, but I'm I'm. I'm definitely looking to one work with my own people. like I want to get to the place where I can bring the people that I've always worked with into those spaces. But I've been really looking at, you know work that defies or creates a counter narrative to our existence, right? I think that um, like I, I, I don't even want to name these people, but I, I, I think in general, the work for me, that shows people as magical divine beings, the people that um, are showing our history, the people that are creating our narratives in, in humanized ways, in in ways that really showcase our survival, our ability to survive. Those are the people I wanna work with. Like I I, I really, <laughs> I really wanna work with Monkey Pop Productions, Jordan Peele. I just saw Candyman, I just saw and Nia DaCosta, you know, some of these incredible writers, screenwriters, um, Anna DuVernay, I I want to work with the folks that are creating those spaces, like director of Black Panther. I, I think that when I saw Candyman, for example, the way that they tied in the social justice theme and the history of policing in Chicago, I just think that art is always going to be political whether or not people think my art is not political. And I was like, it's coming through a vessel. Yes, it is. It's always politicized. And I think that um, the people that I would want to work with are the ones that speak truth to power and also create really creative vehicles in which to tell these stories. And I, I I, want to be in those spaces. I want to write in those spaces. I want to produce in those spaces. And I definitely want to act in those spaces.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, Peel has done a great job with that with all of his movies just hiding messages. Um, but in a way that's not completely obvious, but it's still there. And so people might not be able to like exactly pick out the 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 exact history of something, but I'm pretty sure they get the the overall message just because it's so intertwined within the context of the story. So now going into kind of a, a different subject, in terms of your work now, what do you hope for young Afro Latina girls watching you to see from your journey and to get from that?
2: Well, you know, again coming from coming from a community like Humboldt Park, coming from a community in Chicago where I would be at any given time in a classroom with Polish, Korean, Mexican, Black, Puerto Rican kids. My own identity never really played a role until I was taken out of those spaces where I was seen as just a fifth grader and then be put in a place like Texas where they have very firm beliefs of putting you in a box. And so I had to really start to define myself and start creating my own identities and naming that my intersectional multicultural identities exist within my own unique presentation. And by telling my own story, I realized that my presentation and my intersections and my experiences matter, that they are completely valid and beautiful and that they're worthy of being heard. And so I think that everyone, should they choose the same path or should they choose another creative outlet, that they're just really in love with themselves and who they are and all of the ways that their identity is informed by their past, their culture, their family, the things that are important to them. So, you know, that message is really about tell your story and your story is unique and your story is worthy to be heard.
0: I love it. Okay, Melissa, vamos a hablar de comida, my favorite subject. Okay, I read that your dad is a chef. How did that influence your relationship with food and culture?
2: Well, my dad, my dad comes from a long line of women who cook. So, you know, his mother, Agapita Reyes, she, she, you know, cooked. (laughs) She taught her daughters how to cook. My dad was always interested in how she created those meals, but then he wanted to elevate. He went to Le Cordon Bleu while he was an industrial engineer for Commonwealth Edison for many years. And so he learned technique. He learned how to cook outside of the cultural food. Like he knew how to make a arroz con gandules. He knew how to make pite. He knew how to throw down in the Puerto Rican cuisine. But can you make a beef wellington? Can you make sauces? Do you know how to cut properly? Um, Once you learn technique, there's nothing that's limited to you and what you can create. If you you start to learn about... um, smells and, and taste blendings and pairings and, you know, what heat does to something. I think he really wanted to go beyond just what he was, was taught and what he was limited to. And so being able to watch my dad, a man in the kitchen cook, where in my family it was all the women, right? We, I, my, my mother's side is highly matriarchal. All of the women are super badass women. They're bosses, they're hyper independent. They really don't need anybody else to, to be in their life other than to give them what they're not getting for themselves, right? My dad's side of the family, he, you know, the men do everything. They're capable of doing everything. They're the when I need my laundry clean, I don't go to my mom. I went to my dad. <laughs> you know, like my dad knows how to really get something right. So when my dad, when I when I see my dad cook, it's really about the science behind it, the exactitude. You know, it, we don't he he'll measure, but he'll say like the proportions are important because of this. Whereas a lot of moms will be like, "Se un poquito de esto, de esto, de esto, de esto, y hay que un poco, You know, they cook with their spirit. They cook with their spirit. A man's brain wants to cook with their their spirit and their mind. You know, it's it's a and it, it's a science. It's an exactitude. It's a ritual.
0: Wow. All right. So what is your favorite
2: dish? I love juca. You know, I love nyame. Nyame is a blessed root in in, in the religious culture I practice. So having a plate of bacalao con vianda represents to me some of the more traditional recipes. And it also is just such a comfort food right like you have all of these really beautiful flavors putting together and i'm just always so full after a plate of verduras you know they fill me up and and that plate that plate feels like love you know it just feels like love
1: yeah it's actually kind of surprising i feel like there there's a good number of people that we've gotten on the show that have said similar answers of like either arrozco and dulce or arrozco and avichuelas, agu- like with fried eggs specifically. Melissa, we didn't really touch on it too much, but I think our listeners and me and my mom would like to know more about what you do with the Good Grief Project.
2: Oh, yes. So real quick, um, the Good Grief Project came out of a solo show that I created to really highlight my relationship with my mother, who passed away in 2016 from... Um complications in in her in her illness. She was manic depressive bipolar and she also suffered from autoimmune uh, hepatitis. And in in the fight with the medical industrial complex, she decided that it would just be better if she went off of all of her medications. And she took the she took the choice to, pretty much allow herself to naturally die. Um, it just so happens that when she decided to not take her medications, she, her heart stopped two days later. She thought that she would just naturally wean off. Um, but no one told her that one of the medications that she was taking for, for her, like an antidepressant was going to stop her heart if she didn't wean off of it. So she just didn't know that. Um, and she just, decided to not take pills anymore. Um, so we lost her pretty abruptly, but the the notion behind having the integrity and having the decision to, to mark your fate, I think that there were a lot of conversations that people really needed to have around grief, losing someone, being a an adult child of an alcoholic, being... Um, A mother daughter duo, you know, in the single parenthood conversation going up against the medical industrial complex in the ways that we did that we could never find, you know, access to someone to facilities to help her mentally and physically. There are only there are only three three facilities in the state of Illinois that are MISA programs, that's mental illness and substance abuse, which my mother was suffering from both of them. And we just couldn't get help because she was so young. And so most of those programs are also provided for people who are 65 and older if they're on Medicaid or Medicare. So there was just so much that I wanted to share about this story that I created a solo show, but knowing that the things I was gonna talk about was gonna be very traumatic for my audiences. And I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to trigger warnings because we're responsible for our own reactions to things, but I don't believe in art that is going to put on and reproduce trauma should just leave the audience there with their own emotions. So I decided that if I'm gonna tell a really hard story, that I should have some support for the audience members for the ways in which it's going to kick up their own experience. So I invited 10 practitioners of color who practice multidisciplinary healing practices like Reiki, therapy, acupuncture, napropathy, limpias, um, meditation specialists. They were all there in the space after I did my solo show. And I won a grant from NALAC, the the National Alliance of Latino Arts and Culture, to subsidize anyone who wanted to have their very first therapy session in that space, connect with a practitioner of color, and their first session would be paid by me. So that way they can start a therapy process.
0: Before we let you go, we have a round of rapid fire questions for you if you're game. Favorite role you ever played?
2: Um, that's gonna be Thomasina on Empire. Ooh.
0: Life theater,
2: film, or TV? Life theater.
0: Comedy or drama? Comedy. Dish that absolutely must be served at a family gathering.
2: Potato salad. Okay. Worst audition you ever had. Worst audition I've ever had. Oh god. It was it was for the good men uh the Goodman Theater where like there was some a a powerhouse singer that went up right before me. She was amazing. You could hear her through the door. I'm not a singer but I can sing. And um you know it was one of those things where like why why am I even here? Why why would I even be here after that? And so like I had I let that trip me up and I went into the audition and be like I heard who was there before me. Like if y'all don't hire her, like what's What's the, what's the point? I'ma just play this for you, but I'm Puerto Rican. It has nothing to do with your Mexican story. And that, that girl was singing Jaraches, you know, with huaraches on and she was she had a guitar and she was singing a song, Son Harocho song. I was like, this is done.
0: TV show you would have loved to appear on.
2: TV show I would have loved to appear on. Um mm, 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 mm. Oh, this is gonna sound No, 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 Um, this is, I mean, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite shows. I would have loved to have been on Cheers if I was alive, you know, if I was an adult back then, I would have loved to have been on Cheers. Norm, Norm, yeah. I would have, I would love to have been a character like Norm. Everyone loves Norm. Favorite Broadway show? The Lion King, I wept, yes. And that's, that's also like only one of two Broadway shows I've ever seen in my life. Like who could afford those tickets? Broadway is an inaccessible form of theater. I can't wait to be on it, but I don't. I don't subscribe in the idea of making theater tickets inaccessible for people like me. Like I've never been able to see it. Where can people find you and your work? People can find me in these streets. Um, no, I, I'm I'm pretty active on my socials on Facebook and on Instagram, mostly Instagram because that's where my grandmother is not watching me. Um, it's boom, boom, Dupre on my Instagram, and I'm just now starting to get into TikTok. I usually update everything that I'm doing. I do have some projects coming up that I can't talk about just yet, but please, please follow me so that way I can share all of the lovely updates I'm in LA right now. But the next place I'll be going is Toronto to shoot a new show for Hulu, and then we'll see what happens.
0: Well, I'm excited for you. So I have one more question, it's not part of all this, uh... Flaco Navaja. Ah, I did not know
2: you guys were dating. You know, not not a lot of people know until recently. Um, he moved to Chicago, and he moved to Chicago. You know, pretty low key. He he had some life transitions happen for him. But when I found out he was moving into my neighborhood, I sent him a DM and I said, "Look." What you're not going to do is come into my neighborhood, start taking up all my resources and start being buddy-buddy with my people and start getting all this fame and recognition because I'm the Flaca Novaja in Chicago. What's gonna happen? And and we've what's going to happen is you're going to stop pretending like you don't know me. We've known each other for 10 years and you're just like, "Woo, Melissa Dupre and, and brush me off. So when I get back to Chicago from LA, we're going to have lunch and we are going to be friends.
0: I like that. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us here on More Than Rice and Beans. And whenever, you can, whenever you're whenever you in New York, just let us know. Let me know. Lo- it would be wonderful to have you. Maybe we can do something. I have an event space that we can just do something really cool, some comedy, whatever. Let's
2: get creative in New York, too. Yes. Absolutely, Ache. Metemos manos, of course.
1: Thank you for listening to More Than Rice and Beans. And a special thank you to our guest, the multi-talented Melissa Dupre. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to support our show and highlight our amazing Latinx guests. And if you listen on Spotify, follow the podcast, whatever platform you listen on, please support our podcast as much as you can.
0: Ay, que lindo. <laughs> and if you're interested in, in connecting with Latinx and Spanish culture through food, visit us at GokyTheChef.com or check our links on the show notes and episode description. Ciao, everyone. Say goodbye. Bye.